Shalom, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are, and I just want to say that today, driving around, I had to get early into town. I had to speak to a group, and I just want to say one thing. I love this town. I love this land. Summertime is a completely different time, and it was just such a, such an, just a, just a, just a, unbridled feeling of joy. I can't even explain it. It's just a happiness to be here in this land and to feel like a person in the right place at the right time. And that's amazing. And of course, you're also uh, in the right place in the right time when you're listening to the Land of Israel Network. And you're certainly in the right place in the right time if you're listening to Rabbi Mike Foyer, who joins us here today. Rabbi Mike, shalom. Oh, shalom, Yishai, and welcome. <laughs> <coughs> You, you, you caught me a little distracted there. That's I'm okay. Sorry. I had uh, I had a, a group this morning, uh, early on, and I told them a tale, Rabbi Mike Foyer, which is pretty surprising. One of the dangers in this world is uh, late night tweeting. You're a little groggy. You're a little tired, and you just see something on Twitter uh, because you're a little, you know, thumb. And the, you know they say that Dude, the don't tweet and drive. Don't right? tweet and drive. Right? They say that the Asians, like the Japanese, have a little bit bigger thumbs because they're such adroit. Uh, phone users. Yeah, they say that what? they're... Th- Who's yes. the they in that I, I, I read it. I read it. Oh, okay. yeah. on, on Twitter, of course. I read it that there was a study that showed that the, they, the they study, become more oh, dexterous. I could believe I read it. that I there was a study that... Okay, whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> the point is is that late night tweeting is a problem. Last night I saw, I was going over one of my... Uh, I was looking at the Twitter feed of one of my detractors, who's a lady who's the co-founder of Code Pink, and mm-hmm. she's, she, she doesn't like me. Okay, personally. and I yeah personally, and I, I don't know I can why. See how you wouldn't get along. I, you know, we have differences of opinion. I respect her. Um, <coughs> really? I I, I have a, I have a, no no. This is an important thing. I I have a general attitude of respect for my competitors, enemies, and and like the other side. When I say respect, it doesn't mean like. It mm. means respect. It means I think that they're deep. I think that they're strong. I think that they're good writers. I think that they have a have an eye for for things, and they're they're sharp. And I like I just and that's just my general attitude towards people in general, and certainly towards people who I think are, are my detractors. When I deal with a person who I think is an inferior type person that I don't respect, I don't speak with them. Okay, but on the other side, if so, so an enemy could be a respected enemy. Sure. Uh, and I and I and I actually think but, that that. But why posture, give why give airtime to the yahoos? Right, I don't like the Yahoos. I don't want to talk to, but yeah. but the serious people on the other side. Well, let's well let's rumble, okay? But the, I don't necessarily like you. I don't like your position, but I respect you, and I think that that's a very important posture in general. <coughs> it's also, by the way, a posture that is more defensively smart, because if you get yeah, sure. if you if you don't you know uh, belittle your your enemies and take them seriously no you no, never underestimate the right. enemy that's it's, it, never it, underestimate. it's a very important, uh, right. very important and i like the word respect because it means i'm going to look at you and i'm going to see what you're doing and i'm going to think about it yeah, you give weight right give like weight to it couple. and i'm also going to give weight to the sense that i'm going to actually and here's the here's the nicer part here's the more liberal part which yeah. is i'm going to believe that you're a thinking person okay i'm going to believe that that we're in conversation right <clears throat> and I'm going to believe that there's a value to our conversation. Except when you're late night tweeting. Well, no, I actually <laughs> did not tweet anything so bad. What happened was is I was looking at the Twitter feed of one of my detractors. Uh-huh. And uh, one of my detractors. I'm nothing. I, she detracts from our whole world view. From, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just a small cog in that. But in any case, I saw that she had tweeted that in Europe, a lot of the ultra-nationalists just won... Uh, the uh, in the EU the EU elections election, right. right so all kinds of like ultra nationalists so I tweeted 
with with total innocence, really. I tweeted, and this was a late night tweet. Like, a really, I'm about to go to bed. I just wrote, wrote something like, "A good day for European nationalism." Mm-hmm. I retweeted that tweet. Yeah. Of the, uh, she listed all these bad, including Marie Le Pen, right, uh, uh, and all these other people. Like, uh, and uh, and um, I retweeted that tweet and said, "Good day for European nationalism." Okay. I woke up in the morning and there was a long thread following that little tweet of mine. Not so, so long, but long enough, you know. Uh, and there was a recurring word that the other detractors used on me. And I didn't expect this word. Do you know what that word was? Nazi? Okay, so so let's break that down. Nazi would make a lot of sense because you're like a... European nationalist. European nationalist. You're a Nazi. So, like, yeah. Okay, you're a fascist. But it's hard to call a Jew a Nazi. Apparently not, but, <laughs> right. but, but okay, I'm glad that, that right. they didn't go there. Right. Wait, can I get one more guess? Yes. Uh, white supremacist. Okay, so she had written white supremacist. Okay, fine. I've just noticed I know the language. Right, right. so that, that's all good. Okay, so good. Okay, so white supremacist, fine. I mean, when somebody calls me a white supremacist, I just kind of like, that to me is like a dumb thing. Like, I'm, I don't even respond to that because it's just dumb. Yeah. I'm white supremacist. It's just, well, it's, it's by just, the way, I would point out, it's not just dumb, it's symptomatic of one of the narrowness of thought of, the, of American liberals where they attempt to force everything into the racial construct, which is so central to the American experience. Right. Right, like what's happened? I don't know if you followed this little tempest in the teacup here at Mark Lamont Hill, and and trying to define the identity of of uh, Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews. It's like, sorry, folks, you can say what you want about our country. This is not an act of white supremacy. Walk the streets, right. <laughs> you know. Like you could say it's a supremacy thing, but the white part is just a falsehood. It's it's silly. It's just, it's yeah. just silly, and it's, it's also it's, but it's also the narrowness of thought. Just important to thought, emphasize right. that that American liberals have glued into their brains, hardwired the the black white racial issue. Right. Right. As a frame of truth for analysis for all conflict. Okay, I would parry and say maybe it's not even a paradigm of truth in their heads, but it's a paradigm of um, narrative war. I mean, say they may not necessarily even believe that. But I think they gonna, do. Okay, but then they're gonna, but they definitely use it as a cudgel. In a chinami, right? that's okay, for they're sure. Use it as a cudgel. It's the ultimate stick. Okay, so then right. Ultimate. To me, it's like this is just in their eyes the ultimate right. stick. You can paint somebody right. as a racist. You right. won. Right. Exactly. Okay. So so okay, but but. But so so, but there was another word that was used, which was a surprise to me. I don't know, what and it is was, it? Oh, and it returned over and over again in these tweets. Misogynist? No, no, okay. no, no, so no, I'm no, stop no, now. no, no. It, but but you were on it in the beginning. And, but the word was capo. Ooh, capo. Yisha, you're a capo. Okay. Oh. And I'm like the first one. I'm like Yisha, you're a capo. I'm like okay, you're a nutball. Forget it. And then I read the second one. You're a capo. I'm like you're a nutball. Forget it. And the third one. I'm like wait a minute. There's a thought here. Yes. I started realizing that they mean something. And I, and I was like racking my mind. And it came to me all too quickly, which was <coughs> what they mean is the following. Since you're supporting some kind of ethnic national uh, 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 Nazi Vision. thing. Vision. Right, re, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, then therefore, you're one of those Jews that are, that are selling yeah. out to that power. Right. Instead of doing what Jews are supposed to do, which is send out a message of liberalism. And I'll add to that because Jews are definitionally victims of nationalism. Right. Uh, right. And, and so this morning at the event that I had, he also asked me the question. He's like, but aren't Jews definitionally the victims of nationalism? I'm like, we've been victims of many different things. I could tell you about Ro- the Roman Empire. Was that nationalism? No. Uh, Christianity? Cr- Christianity. No. <laughs> Communism. No. I'm like, I'm like, we're victims of anti-Semitism. It has many different forms. Well, I would go further. This is, we're, we're victims of um, power that doesn't know its limits. Okay. 
Okay, but it, but it, no, it, that's what all those things were. Intellectually speaking, it can come from many different. But that's my point. Right. If you boil all those things down to the same, is that power that wants to transcend its limits must get rid of the Jew mm-hmm. because the Jew represents the power of God in the world, consciously or not. So therefore, we will always either actively or passively stand against, mm-hmm. right? Which is why you can have a liberal Jew in America taking the sort of multicultural anti-nationalist stance because they perceive within their society that nationalism has gone off the rails and its use of power. And that's why here in Eretz Israel, we, we are actually a nationalist entity standing against sort of internationalist attempts to erode our borders and the sort of internationalist force of jihad. And it's the same thing. Because anytime power goes off its rails, the Jew will stand against it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. So I didn't understand. Like, so I was surprised at this. At this that's at this. a bitter Wait, word. I, I just want to also explain to some people who might not know, because I noticed this morning not everybody knew what the word kapo meant, actually. Kapo is, is, a, is, a, is a Jew who was in the police force of the Nazis, in the, uh, in the employ of the Nazis, and basically forced the Jews to comply with what the Nazis said. Within the concentration camps. Within the concentration camps. And we saw this, by the way, the Torah actually talks about this phenomenon in Egypt as well. There were these... Overseers. Overseers who were Jews. Yes. And who themselves had to report back to the Egyptians slash Nazis of that time, right? Which, by the way, I would point out is it's very easy post facto to judge people as evil. But the reality is my great aunt Helene. Who I heard about in your show. Oh, really? Recently? Great. Um, Her life was saved by Capo because when she showed up in the barracks in Birkenau, in Auschwitz, it turned out that one of her childhood friends was in charge of the barracks. She was the capo. Uh-huh. And, and this friend said, I'm getting you out of here. I'm sending you to do like a slave labor in, in actually in Birkenau in the labor section. Mm-hmm. And, she, and my aunt said, like, no, my whole family's here. Like, I want to be here. And she was like, your family's not here anymore. Right. You don't know what this is. I'm, right. I'm getting out of here now. Right. And she, she only was there for a month. And then she was moved on to, to slave labor. Wow. So, I mean, it's easy to judge people because they were facilitators of evil. And I'm sure there was a lot of that. Right. But, but I'm wary about that word post facto. Uh, right. You know, there, but there was a famous phrase by, um, his name escapes me now, who's the uh, famous author about the Holocaust? Primo Levi? No, the other one that, that recently passed away also. Um, anyway, Eloisel. Yeah, Eloisel. So he, said, he had a famous phrase about that. He said, in the camps, there were all kinds of, all kinds of folks were capos, doctors. Uh, engineers, professors. He goes, but there were no rabbis. That's okay. what he, that, that was a phrase that he that, okay. he, that he had. Okay, it's an interesting phrase. Um, in any case, I was like, so you're saying that I'm a capo because I support European nation states nationalism and European nation states. But the reason you think that is because you think that a Jew naturally is also a victim of that, and also you think that a Jew's natural position is to. Uh, broadcast a message of liberalism of internationalism right internationalism and liberalism and that way the powers that the host powers that we're living in will accept the message of tolerance will be kept in check and they will be kept in check by themselves yes fine but I'm like but I'm like the only thing is I'm not a diaspora Jew yep I'm an I am a nationalist Israeli Jew and in many sense many senses we're like them and so having other national, ethnic national states that are, that are, that are well-bordered and, 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 and secure and, and have a national culture, that's like us. And we see a similarity between ourselves. And, sure. and we, 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 we support that, and they support us. It's interesting that Eastern Europe, who are really people who are oftentimes anti-Semitic, if it's Hungary, if it's Ukraine, if it's oh, yeah. Estonia, if it's all these places, right? But they like Israel. 
Well, you know, and that's why it is it is it is true that a person, or at least a let's say a, na- a nation state, could be pro-Israel and anti-Semitic, right? Right, and that's that's one of the deep questions that we're holding, and that goes exactly to my point: is that the the liberal internationalist stance of the diaspora Jew is the same in its relationship to power as the nationalist stance of the ethnic Jew here in the land of Israel. We just perceive the power which has gone off the rails to be differently. They're living, as you said, in a host country, and they're worried about the centralized power of that country. We're living in our own country, and we're looking and saying, why should the international court have anything to say about you know what we do? Or why should the United Nations, which has hardly ever been an impartial or kind entity, right, um, be adjudicating our borders. I mean, we see different bases of power that have transcended their right boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, we're all taking a stance, mm-hmm. the Jewish stance against that. And, mm-hmm. and it behooves us as a people to actually accept that as our mission and begin to talk to each other in a, in a constructive fashion. Because there are, there, are important, there are important messages in both. I kind of respect the country. Respect is, I'm saying this in a very limited uh, doctrine, which is, I respect a country who's on the one hand anti-Semitic, but on the other hand pro-Israel. What do I mean by that? Is what I mean by that is, I understand where they're coming from. They're like, look. By the way, most of those countries that are anti-Semitic and pro-Israel are xenophobic in general, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't actually like the stranger at all. But the Jew right. holds a special place in their heart from the last fifteen hundred years of right. history. But fine. But you know what? I'm a Hungarian. I don't like Jews in my country. But a strong Jewish state, cool. A strong Israel. I don't think they think of it as a Jewish state. Whatever. That's fine. But that's an important distinction, and it goes to the heart of what it means to be a Jew in the land of Israel as opposed to what it means to be a Jew in diaspora. And, and, And a Jew is found in both. As much as I'm a deep believer that our center of peoplehood and our ultimate mission belongs here... Right, there is a critical heritage and posture that the Jew of the diaspora holds, and we can't just dismiss it. No, and so no, they, I'm not dismissing. I'm talking about now the Gentiles. I under, no, yeah. but I understand. But my and point by the is way, there that, are really no Jews left in those those places, very which few. makes it so much easier to hate them. By the way, um, because then you have to deal with the reality. Meaning, it makes it easier to be an anti-Semite when there are no actual Jews around. Right, you can burn no, Jews in effigy. More, and, no, they and, were much more anti-Semitic when we were around because we annoyed them. Okay, and now that we're gone, they're just like. Well, at least there's a strong Israel. That's cool. And guess what? They're standing against. They're also, you know, standing against the immigration at, of, at, of at Islam this, or at whatever. This, it is. At the same time, I think that there is a, a ultimate moral truth that that xenophobia quickly becomes hatred and destructive to human life. I mean, it doesn't automatically become that, but it can quickly become that. Therefore, there's two battles to be fought here. A certain amount of xenophobia is also a healthy thing. Like not being overly like understanding that you have your own culture, your own but language. I don't, I, no, I, I don't necessarily. Is Japan a problem? They have they have their own. Are they xenophobic? They are into themselves. Uh, we don't get I don't get into a semantic battle, but I would say that xenophobia by definition is bad, right? Meaning what you're talking about is cultural cohesion, right? right. And, and 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 the primary focus is inward, saying we we have a pre- precious culture, we want to preserve it, right? The practically speaking, that's very hard to do without constructing some antagonism toward the cultures that lie outside of yours, right? Yeah. And that's one of the big challenges that Am Israel faces today. Right. You know, that's why in America. It's the Orthodox who have poured their energy and money into trying to create some sort of positive sense of identity, as well as the real energy and social boundaries sort of to hold the non-Jew at bay that are thriving, whereas the, the non-Orthodox movements who have put some energy into the positive cohesion, although in limited ways in my experience, but have totally torn down 
the ideological and practical barriers between Jew and non-Jew are assimilating at an alarming pace. Uh, when I was in England now, I was thinking about America. Sometimes I understand America better when I'm not in America and not in Israel. <laughs> and America is something to study because it is, it is a global power today. It's, it is something to think about. Yeah, sure. And half our people um, are there. Right. And I started realizing that really that for diaspora Jews uh, in the, I'm just talking now in the Anglosphere, uh, there are really three options towards the future. Really. One is... Run, hide, fight. <laughs> one is assimilate. Yeah. One is ultra-Orthodox Haredi Jewry. Yeah, sure, the two poles. And then Zionism. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. That's basically it. And no, by Zion- Zionism, are you limiting that to Aliyah, or do you see a place Zion- for diaspora Zionism? Uh, uh, the answer is the latter, in the sense that I see that basically some of these places, like England, have become this a satellite of Israel, where yes. they, they're, they're Zionist, they're pro-Israel, they're Zionist, and and then, but they but they nurture from Israel, and that's where their Zionism is. They're actually like out there in a satellite sense, and I mean that in a satellite, like they're actually communicating with Israel. Sure, they're interested in what's going on in Israel. Culturally, they're living, politically, right? They're living yeah, sure. in, in in England or whatever it is, but they are like now mentally satellites of an Israel. They mm-hmm. understand it, mm-hmm. and so that is also a, a kind of a core of their identity, right? And but but that means that they re, they can retain that identity because they fly, they come in and out. They're reading uh, Ruth Shev or whatever. Yeah, it there's is. a living center that's that's right. pouring out to them, right? And and, and, and I think I told you this on the last show, which was a baffling irony that I stumbled upon when I was in England, which was that actually Israel protects people, protects Jews, and lets them stay in England. Yes, a strong Israel allows for a healthy diaspora. He, he, imagine imagine if, a, if a Jeremy Corbyn would take control of England, which is possible, but there was no Israel. Well, you would be up a creek. Yes. You would be up a creek. <laughs> That's right. Okay, but now you're not so up a I creek. I think they say creek, don't they? <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be fine even if he takes over. You may feel less comfortable, more comfortable, but like... <clears throat> but there's an international power which would stand against, and right. there's where to go. Right, and there's where to go. Yeah. To me, I was like, wow, actually Israel keeps that diaspora alive. But the growing community in America is either... The growing movements are not Zionism. The growing movements are assimilation. Right. And ultra orthodoxy, ultra orthodoxy. It's important to say. It's yes, a, it's yes, a, we're talking about Haredi, yeah, which, yeah, and yeah. we're talking about a generally not so not not anti, but not so Zionistically inclined. No, but 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 uh, there's a doubling down on the xenophobic element there in terms of the drawing of the line between right. Jew and non-Jew. Well, that's what ultra orthodoxy in part does. It I know. You that's what I'm saying other. it's like I am an other. I am the other. I want to be the other. R- right. My point is that that is more cultural cohesion. My concern is how one manages the tool of and I don't want to be them right. because I think it's a fool that dismisses it and says we, we can do without that but but when it becomes central to identity it is quite problematic it's interesting because there's a difference between New York and other places well because New, <laughs> because New York is really the international hub uh-huh it, it, it's you know what I mean it's um and it's it's got so many of these Closed cultures, different cultures, and mm-hmm. you know, so so it's so, a model of multiculturalism, right? So you can actually do that, and you're still cool, right? You're, you're not just like, doing you. You're, what? You're just doing you, right? Like, you're just doing that's you. That's what and, we want here in this city. That's cool. I want to be able to go to Williamsburg and to Chinatown, and uh, right, and like it's a patchwork. It's true multiculturalism, right? 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 It, it, it I find I find the, the the story of New York to be it's very interesting. It's it's still very interesting. I mean. It's, it's I was speaking to this to this group this morning who were, were Christian folks, young, smart Christian folks, 
and the, these two ladies came up to me afterwards and they're like, so are you from New York? I'm like, yes. They're like, we're also New Yorkers. And there was an, a weird, interesting bond between people who think that way. Yeah. Uh, I want to I emphasize that I feel like there's a lot that we could learn here in our country from that model. Um, and I think it was one of the mistakes that was made in the way the nation state law was written. And I think you've se- we've seen it in the way the Druze reacted. Meaning if we had just called the Druze a tribe, basically, might not have been the right word, but mm-hmm. it would basically recognize that the Druze are a tribe. Mm-hmm. This is our nation. This is our national. Event, but the Druze are a tribe. They're like with us in that. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, right? I, I, and, and I, I think that tribal model, which is a biblical model, is one that we need to begin to emphasize. Yeah, I agree with you. The only thing is I think that there's actually other people who may be nationally not identified like that, but there are pers- but personally are identified like that. And I would have written that law to just say, like, look, there are minorities, there are people that are part of our story. They're yeah. not us, but they're part of our story. Also, I would have made, as I've said many times, I would make Arabic, I would definitely give it a nod. Yeah, that was, a, that was just a cheap element of that it's law. not cheap it's actually israelis israelis aren't into and and rabbi rabbi barrel wine who's only second to you when it comes to a great uh, great Whoa. history telling and he's and he's a he's a he's a great man and he's still alive and uh, he's he's gonna reach out to him see if he'll do an interview with me you really should and 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 if you're and interested soon, in that you should do it sooner yeah, than later yeah uh, but he's a great great man who's influenced many many thousands of people tremendous influence on me yeah just many many thousands of people and and he's a man of of depth and conviction and understanding and anyway and he's one of these people who i love which is this lawyer rabbi combo i love those folks there's him there's also rabbi Przansky. Those i love mm. those guys but anyway he said something which i'll never forget uh he said the jews emulate a culture that they think is like superior to them mm-hmm. and they'll always learn that language and look like those people when they think it's superior Greek, when they think English, right but he's like yeah. the persians for example the jews thought that they were kind of inferior right and he's like they didn't they didn't they, they just looked at them as kind we of we held ourselves above them right yeah. we, right and so i think it's the same thing with the with the arabs and 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 with just cause okay with just cause you may not think it's a it's a it's it may not be a good posture but it's in reality it's a just cause which is that the Arabs right now, especially in this total nadir of theirs of, of like a, of like a low anger hate culture, post colonial uh, trauma. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, there is that, but I think it's. I, I, it's I, I not all I would, it is. I would put a, it on the Europeans. I, I would put uh, it on it's them. A, it's, I would put it on, a, on the development of jihadism there. for a long time. And okay. Oh, jihadism! I would argue is actually a direct post colonial product. Modern jihadism, I mean, obviously, has its roots in Islam as a whole. Right, right. I'm not denying that, but but the current posture of of the jihadi world is clearly post-colonial. We can have this discussion. Yeah. Time. Uh, okay. It, 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 it really depends on how you understand the Arab personality, but in any case, uh, uh, and the the bottom line is that that the, I can understand why Israelis don't want to speak Arabic because they don't see in it a very valuable culture. Yeah. Not only that, but we've been in a bitter war for a hundred years it's like right. uh, it's like sleeping with the enemy start in one of in your podcast that i listened to yesterday you said something that was like it, it, and you and a little bit angered me that you went fast on it like you said that in morocco uh, when the balfour declaration was announced a hundred people were murdered in the, the streets yeah yeah yeah. Uh, just take a pause on that yeah, yeah just yeah, take yeah. a pause on that like like i don't like, know if it was with the announcement it would have been one of the anniversaries of it well in any case Lomish i was just like it, yeah. i was just like a hundred people were murdered because because in Israel was announced. I mean that's that's that that's that's a hundred years of war indeed. You know we've been in a we are in a hundred years war and and, right. and I, I actually think it's important to say that over and over to drill right. it into people's minds like because right. you don't win a hundred years war by getting tired 
or or by the way by focusing on a purely tactical approach mm-hmm. right um a brush fire you know extinguishing i mean like you got to think about like who do we want to be in order to not just survive but thrive and and what's our vision like that's killing me right now what's our right. vision we should be reshaping the entire middle east with the power and and influence and momentum we have right. and what we're really just trying to do is like you know get get a small piece of the pie still Right, and and so you and I, we always enter, and in, in, there's a moment there where you and I have like a, like an inflection point where where we, we diverge a little bit. We go I'm, in different directions. Right, where, where I'm like, where I'm like, I'm not, I don't know about changing the Middle East, but like, I think it is important to identify the enemy and keep that in target and be like, look, yeah. these guys, it's not because of our because we're not a liberal, and it's not because we are on their land, and it's because, not because there's an apartheid state and all that junk in reality it's because there's a hundred years war they're out to get us they've changed tax a little bit and we've got to realize that because because islam unlike the sort of hermeneutic narrative battle that we had with christianity from the beginning when they (laughs) did the original act of identity theft and tried to claim they were us with islam the core conflict has always been political which is so long as the jew is willing to accept the secondary status within the socio-political construct so the jew can be the jew that's not a problem we don't need him we don't need to be the jews we're islam soon as the jew breaks that status and attempts to actually have real freedom right which is why the balfour declaration is a trigger in many ways freedom and control freedom and control by i I take it for granted freedom freedom doesn't mean as a just a member within another society right because you could be free in america yeah well that's an interesting question i would argue that a jew actually can't be entirely free in america Right. right because part of what it is to be free isn't just free from the constraints of but is actually free to actualize and that's why right. it really but if there's ever freedom. been a whole society that has been free no in yeah. my argument it's a different model of freedom right. like what, what what it is to be a jew is to be able to fulfill our mission and our mission is here so therefore that level of freedom can't be done in america mm-hmm. it can be done like you said as a satellite and there's important aspects of freedom that can be exercised there but not in its fullness right. and that's why that that level of freedom is associated with our political independence which is why it's an, a thumb in the eye of Islam in its current posture, meaning right. they're capable of changing. And that's where I'm, right. I am in, in, with Jabotinsky. The only way it's going to happen is when there's an iron wall. Wait, well, like when, are, when we're not are we going to start anywhere. talking about, about Islamic reform? When are we going to talk about, when are we going to talk, speaking of like changing the, the Middle East, like, like forget the us and our can, apartheid, non-apartheid. You know what the problem is? The only, the only people who can meaningfully speak about Islamic reform is the Muslims. That's yeah, it. Like, but there's a little problem there. Which is that whenever those guys raise their little heads, they get chopped right down. Okay, okay so we could facilitate through, and it's interesting you say that because I, I would love to see, you know, at the, at, at the early. I have Arabs calling me every day telling me, please get me an Israeli blue identity card. Yeah, so I want to be safe. Under, yeah, I want to I be safe. Thumb. I want to just live a normal life. Yeah. Do, as I like to say a lot of times in speeches, we live in South Korea, they live in North Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's true. my neighbors in Hebron live in North Korea, societally yeah. speaking. Yeah. And you can blame us for it all you want, but we didn't create your society. Right. <laughs> like, Tough. Interestingly right. enough, this, this will shift us uh, into uh, today's Torah portion. Get out of here. Of Bamidbar. Uh, before, before you and I began recording, uh, we said that this is not the most exciting uh, narrative story. The, book, the beginnings of the book of, of, of Numbers. which is, is a bunch of numbers. Which is Numbers, right? But it's uh, it, it, and and it's it's interesting because we're going to get in this book. There are tremendous dramas, tremendous, 
unbelievable political dramas yeah. every year. Yeah. Then we've recorded the show. This is our third or fourth year together. Whatever it is. Years has I don't been. know. Third, third, third year. I have to say that. Like I say this every year. To me, this is the book of politics. Today yeah. is the book of politics. You have convinced me. Right. I'm, so, I'm on. I'm so on it's, board. It's, it's like all politics. This book. So it's interesting that that before the clock. Here's my metaphor. Mm-hmm. Politics is like a ticking clock. Right, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of stuff and it's trying to get somewhere fine. Before the 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 clock starts ticking, the watch pieces, those little tiny wheels have to be put into place. Sure. And that's these first two Torah portions. They're all about what does it look like in perfect form? Mm-hmm. Before before we get to the all the ugliness of politics, what what is the what is the perfect form? When it when it all works smoothly together, what's the alignment? How does it supposed to align actually? Right? I'm, I'm just I'm smiling because I'm picturing <laughs> like the the Knesset before they've done anything, taking that group picture. Like here, that's right. Now it's like all right. Now let the games begin. Right. <laughs> so the Jews are going to be counted, and they're going to come out to fighting men of six hundred and three five hundred and fifty. Okay, 603,550, okay? Men of military age. Those are Jewish men over 20 years old counted in the month of ER in the year 2,449, okay? Uh, and it has the different numbers of, of the tribes. Uh, the biggest tribe being Don at 60, uh, actually Yehuda at 74,600. Weighing in at 74,600 right. Yehuda the Okay, and then the camps are going to be set out. There's really three major camps. There's the... Four. Well, there's the Shekhinah camp. Oh, you're going from inward outward. Right. I'm, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking about the. I thought the, you were talking the, about the, 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 the Degalim. Meta, right. I'll get. I'll get to the Degalim in a second. We're talking about the Meta camp, Meta camps, which is the. Basically, this was the name. The the Shekhinah, It's the name given to the area of the Mishkan. Okay, the, which this, which is basically the traveling temple, right. the, the tabernacle. Okay, it's the holy traveling. space at the center. It's right, and it's is God. Is yeah. God? He's traveling, and the next around him are his chief. Servants. Servants in human form. The Levites camped around all sides of the Mishkan. Each of the Levite families was assigned a fixed place. Moshe's and Aaron's families had the most honored place. They camped at the entrance of the Mishkan. They were like guards stationed at the entrance of a king's palace. Okay? Uh, God doesn't need those guards, but he, can, he alone can protect it than any other human being. Still, he ordered the Levim to guard the Mishkan. And then you had the rest, which is the camp, which is the camp called Machane Israel, the camp of the children of Israel. This camp surrounded the Levite camp, and we're going to explain that that there are uh, four sides, and three tribes comprise every one of these four sides. Okay, uh, and and basically, you all following this, uh, right? <laughs> okay, so you have. So I'll just do this quickly. You have the first group is called is called the the flag of the camp of Judah. Okay, it's on the east side. The leader of that tri- the leader of that camp is the tribe of Judah, as it's called, and the other folks that are with her are Issachar, Issachar, and Zevulun. Okay, the second group was named Degel Machane Reuven, the flag bearers of Reuven, and it's on the south side. Reuven uh, uh, would be leading the tribe on that side, and also together with him would be Simon, Shimon, and God. The third group was called Machane Ephraim. He camped on the west side. And Ephraim, which is the kind of chosen son of, of Joseph, would be leading this tribe. Who would be there? Menashe and Binyamin together with them. Fine. And then last side would be Dan, right? Dan, that's like the coastal plain today. It's called Dan. And Dan would be the leading tribe, and it would have Asher and Naphtali in it. Okay, these would be the 12 tribes around 
that that surrounded the Levi camp that would surround the 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 uh, the, the God's abode. Okay. Now, just last thing, why, why do we have this in a particular order? Because wh- why, where did we get this particular order? Fascinating, fascinating story. It's not in the Bible per se, but it is in the Midrash that Jacob, when he was dying, asked his sons to carry him to Hebron, to the tombs of the forefathers and mothers, in this constellation. Take my, take my, uh, take my uh, coffin, and here's the way I want you to be ordered. And this is the way I want you to walk. God copied that when it talked about the, uh, the, the Mishkan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's deeper than copying. The, what you're looking at here is a, is a basis of a couple of things. So I would add to that structure that this is the basis for the, what the Jewish take on the Zodiac. Right? Because all the tribes have a certain symbol attributed to them. And you notice 12 tribes and the symbols of the Zodiac and the months of the year, uh, you know, rotating around this central point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a rich... Cool. Jewish That's tradition. Cool. Yeah. There's a rich Jewish tradition of that, and it's not um, uh, a purely non-Jewish phenomenon. People often associate things like astrology with it's a, almost an idolatrous tradition. Uh, there are a lot of rabbis that raise their eyebrows at it, but you, you have enough of a basis in Jewish tradition to say, "Sorry, Rabbi, you can say you're not into it, but you can't say it's idolatrous." Mm-hmm. So that's another layer. But um, at its essence, I think it's the Maharalmi Prague who 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 says it best that that this is a representation of the Jewish mission of holding complexity within unity. Right? Yaakov, that image that Yaakov says to his sons on his deathbed, I want you know, Yehuda and Yisachar and, and Zvulun over here, and I want the, everybody in the right place. He's at the center. And, and you know, in that Midrash, Yaakov looks around, and he's worried that maybe one of his children isn't fit because he doesn't feel the presence of God. And what does children say back to him? Shema Israel, listen, our father Israel. Hashem Echad, right? The Lord, our God, Lord is one, meaning we're all with you on that mission. And Yaakov has a realization that there is a difference between his unified experience of God and the nation which he'll create, which is that now there will be a whole nation which will still have the same God at the center, like this image you painted out. Right, six hundred thousand men of military age, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they're all focused inward on the same God. This is an important message that Amisrael right. is meant to bring to the world, right. which is that having the same God does not mean being the same. Right. And, and do you see now how that fits in as a perfect beginning to the book of politics? Oh yeah. And, and I just want to remind people when you talk to people about politics, a lot of times they'll be they'll have this like icky face on. The like, very oh, word politics, po- politics yeah. is all politics. And they have the, they have a derision about it. I, I I often I often know non political people when they're like I don't like that shul it's got politics. I'm like you are obviously a novice. All Jewish things and probably all things human things have politics. You put in two it. people in a room, you've got politics. Right, that's exactly what it the, is. The, the question is 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 what's at the center of that sacred or not? Right, and that's why the book of Midbar begins. I think you rightly said with with setting everything in place. Everything that's right. going to come after now, and this is classically what happens as we get to Parsha Koch. There are two different types of politics. There's Machloket L'Shem Shemaim. There's like, are we struggling because we believe that there's a divine mission, and therefore, if I think my the mission is divine, then I'm absolutely going to push for the way I think it ought to go? Or am I struggling about something which is like really it's just about power and my personal interest which is that's the politics that people sort of sort of wrinkle their nose at and really uh, the problem is they're unable to distinguish between the two. Right and 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 a lot of that has to do with the very human failings of our leaders. Is what our is what our leaders are doing in service of themselves? Is it in service of of the nation or God or the vision? And of course 
part of the reality is is that anyone who doesn't have an ego is 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 not going to wade into that battle. And if they do, they're not going to be successful. I mean, right. ego is a very important tool right. in that pursuit. It's just you know always the question of me barosh. What's the primary goal? And that's why this right. image. What's the heart of, of it? What's, what's the, heart the heart of it? it? And right. what are you really serving? Right. It's not like you can't meet your own needs, but shouldn't be in service of your own needs. Right. Right. That's a great point. And I just the, the, this image of like everything being set into place maybe as a vision of perfection, or maybe another way to think of it, like meaning to say like, okay, I'm going to lay it out perfectly, and then from then on it's going to tick. But you, you know, uh, remember the perfect vision of it, or maybe to say uh, all the politics is going to follow. That's part of what I set out. I, I set out to be. Or maybe it's like when you clean up your room right before Shabbos. The kids clean up the room, and the room is like pristine. And then the rest of the week it gets messed up, but there's a vision of perfection that you could strive for. I would add another possibility because um, the perfection at the origin is not the same as the perfection at the end. Like, meaning, I mean, it's not like um, like the image of the room there, and I can very much relate to that. Means that the, it's the, all downhill. The image of the room, meaning I yeah. like I get everything in order, Arab Shabbos, and then it, all week long it falls apart, and then then I put it back into order. Right. Right. But remember, the Mishkan is not the permanent situation. This tabernacle life in the desert is going right. somewhere. Right. I think what we're seeing here is that this is the beginning of an evolutionary process for the people. Mm-hmm. Here's what it looks like now. Let's get everything straight in its proper relationship mm-hmm. in order that, yeah, it's messy. and as it, But the goal isn't to put it back together the way it was. The goal is to take this spirit of God and plant it on Mount Zion. You know, you just totally rocked my world, and I'll tell you why. Why? Because then it's suddenly... <laughs> Because it just dawned on me the relationship between the tabernacle and Jacob's uh, 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 casket. Like Jacob's casket is being taken mm-hmm. on the road, but its final resting place is in Hebron, in this like place. Right. And that's is, where it's meant to go. Yes. So too, this tabernacle is like Jacob's thing, which is like, okay, it's now it's this roving God thing, but it's has but got on a, the road. This is going have, somewhere. Wow. And it also makes that relationship between Jerusalem and Hebron. That much uh, deeper. Right. Well, I mean, there are many midrashim that connect between the cave of the Machpelah and the mountain, right. the Temple Mount. Right, right, right. But, but like now I just see this parallel of these like In these Jews two going, right? These yeah, Jews, yeah. Jews walking. Yeah. Let me just add one more uh, layer here because because as is, there are big teeth, there are also little teeth inside the the uh, the, the watch, oh, the clock. Oh, teeth isn't cogs. Yeah, like, cut, no, no, like, 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 like little, little tiny watch teeth. Uh, you know, and we love those, little, you know, everybody loves those watches that you're seeing through and then you see all the yeah, stuff. It's cool. It's, it's cool, cool stuff. So that's what's happening now uh, on some level anyway, um, because we're not going to the micro micro cogs of the individuals. But still, though, there are families and there's the Levite families. They're in charge of different things themselves. And that's going to be in this part as well. There's three major families, Gershon, Kehat and Merari. So Gershon carried the Mishkan's woven materials, the curtains that formed the walls and the roof of the Mishkan, the, the tabernacle, the net curtains that enclosed the yard, the masach, which is the entrance curtain, and the ropes with which the Mishkan tent was tied. So all the kind of clo- cl- the woven stuff, all the cloth right. stuff. So that's Gershon. They were, they were in the Shmata business. Um, <laughs> Kehat, or Kehat. Drapery. Drapery, that's right, please. Um, they carried the holiest objects of the Mishkan. The Aron, the Ark of the Covenant, the Shulchan, the showbread table, the menorah, the candelabra, the two altars, right? The 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 meat altar, the the uh, the and the and, <laughs> and the, the milk altar, right? The, right no, and incense, the, incense, and the incense altar. All other instruments used with these objects. There was all kinds of. Uh, uh, They're in furniture. They're in furniture. That's right. <laughs> that's right. The parochet, the curtain that divided the kodesh from the kodesh of kodeshim, and Merari carried mainly the wooden parts of the Mishkan, the wooden boards, the poles and the pillars, 
the Adanim, they were in uh, lumber. Lumber. Uh, and sockets. <laughs> <laughs> sockets of the Mishkan oh, yeah. and the yard, the sockets were in actually silver. Uh, and the ropes, or copper, and the ropes used to tie the net curtains to uh, the yard. And um, This is such a project. Every time I read this, I would just think of like, the logistics of this every time they moved. Right. You understand why God only had to move 42 times in the space of right. you know, 38 years. It's like, we can't do this too often. And, and these holy objects were, were in the Mishkan were wrapped. They were put into like... Coverings. Coverings, like my sunglasses and those little, you know, those, those little Oakleys, soft those baggies. Those little soft yeah. baggies. That For you sure, yeah, yeah. Big de charrette. And, and weirdly, but, but it's so, so, so deep, the, the, the Levites were not allowed to look into, onto the parts when they were kind of taken, up, sure. taken, taken apart, which is not cool for God, right? When it's taken apart. It always brings to my mind, and I've never really delved into the connection, but that scene way back in the beginning of Breshit, when, when Ham either sees his father Noah right. naked or he does something inappropriate there, whatever it is, and then when he goes and tells his brother, Shem and Yafet, it says that they took a cloth and they put it over their shoulders and they walked backwards until they cover their father's nakedness. Like there's, they, there's something, you know, and I know in our day. That's a great connection, I think. I, I've never really tried to get at the heart of it, but I would say Sounds this like is a good class to me. There's something in our day that, um, that prides itself on removing all shame. Right. Which Not just shame. Not just shame. It's voyeurism. Well, no, I was going to say, wait, okay. no, make a distinction, meaning okay. which I think on one level is very important. There's something very healthy because, because shame, which is an expression of external judgment, mm-hmm. is, is, suppresses the human being. At the same time, what you're going is that once you remove any sense of, of propriety, of like perhaps there are actually things which are best left intimate right. and inside. Right. So then it easily slides into you know the voyeurism and sensationalism and pornographic sort of mentality. Let me give you three different types of voyeurism very quickly. One is obviously what you're talking about, which is which is pornography, or a soft form of that, which is the lives of famous people and all, all kinds of stuff like right, that. Right. Sure. Okay. That's that's one. Another one is the voyeurism of the social media. That people know what I think and say, but more than that, that these companies know what I search for, what I oh, think yeah, about, sure. which is very, very bothersome. Okay, you're really today, as a public, semi-public person, I think twice about searching something. Okay, you know, because because I because because I'm thinking to myself, who has this data that I search for this thing? Oh yeah, that's that is a sick problem. The answer is everyone. <laughs> right, it's a very, very, very problematic thing. I think I think very problematic, and I'm amazed that the, the liberals and the Americans and the legal system is so quiet about this thing. Well, because at the end of the day, everybody wants it for free. Okay, and if, and if and if if you want it for free, then they have to make their money somewhere. I want it for free also, but there should be caps, there should be limits, and that's where the law comes in. Okay, yeah, and that's where antitrust laws come in. That's where privacy it's, law comes. That process has begun slowly, and yeah. the question in Europe is: Europe it hit harder. And the question is: Is whether actually the government will have enough power to do it? Right. Well, I, well, I, I'll tell you something. I personally think that Facebook should be way, way. You know, I think the privacy stuff should be enforced. I think they should be, you know, really, really taken down off taken down off of that thing because it's right. crazy. And then there's a third kind of warism. What's that? Okay, this is a, this is a weird kind of warism. But if you've ha- uh, if if, uh, if if somebody's been uh, having a child anytime recently, being pregnant. They they voyeur into your body. They voyeur into your genetics. They voyeur into, if that's a way to use that term, they, they, they look into such an extent, like when I was a kid, 
you didn't know if your mom was going to have a boy or a girl when the baby right, was coming. Right. Now they, they know, not only that, but they know everything. And they freak you out. They Doctors, how many people have told me that they freak you out on some, they're like, well, it's, it's, we think it's probably nothing, but there's a one but, in 20,000 uh, yeah. percent chance that this means that you have Down syndrome or something. Like, you birth to a reptile. Right. <laughs> I mean, many people have told me that their doctors told them to abort and the kid turned out totally fine. Now, Now, the bottom line is that there's a beauty to that, to that voyeurism. There's there's a value to it. One hundred care about life and health and well being. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's great. But but but, but the they're point in your is, right? There's there's a world out there which is like, look, how do we even get on this topic? Um, well, it's because of this image, the connection between the Levim covering oh, right. over oh, the right. sort of most sacred items, and um, and and what I was saying is that we live in a society, and and the the sons of Noah backing in and my, covering. My his son negative. says to me, my son says to me. That uh, something in class, and he saw some. So, so there was uh, somehow there was some inappropriate images. I said to him, I said to him, Elazar, uh, not bringing in those, <clears throat> not bringing those inappropriate images into your life is important. But another thing is to know how to not look. Yes. How to not listen to right. Lashon Hara? How to not look at that thing, or even if you start to erase it and not accept it into your inner core? Just, it, listen, he was very fascinated by that very that, that sense of empowerment. Yeah. Right? No, it's it, and it's a very difficult and delicate thing, which unfortunately in our social context, um, there's there's a lost space of intimacy, and that's yeah. what I see out of this act of Levim. It's like Levim are are absolutely responsible. They're going to be caring. You might say like. What does it matter if they see the arm? They're going to be carrying it. Their right. hands are all over right. it. What do you? The answer is no. They're not going to look. They, there's a, there's a sense of of value and awe that comes with leaving that unseen, right. which is very important. Right, and I would also say that the unseen part is when it when it gets taken down. That's the part that that is the diaspora. That's part. kind of what I meant. Right. Is it like right. the, it's it, it's exposed, right. not in its sort of right. its glorious whole form, fashion? Right. Yeah, because you're it's correct. You know, the the sages say that when the temple stood on the festival holidays, they would actually pull back all the curtains to expose to all of Am Yisrael the holy of holies so they could see. Because that's there. It's like okay, here you go. I'll let you see when I'm in my. Let me let me let me show you my best side. Right. Let me get you know you're gonna step right. out into the public eye. You want to be ready. Sh- and, and not out of some vanity, but in the sense that you want people to actually receive the fullness of the beauty which is available. Right. I love that. That's one of my favorite Talmudic passages of, of all. Okay? Yeah, uh, and they compare that to to this, which is to what we're talking about, which is the putting into the big pockets uh, of these like broken down vessels. And like there you're not supposed to look. And they basically say, the fr- the refrain is, a, a, a wife who is only engaged to be married still keeps her distance from her husband as opposed to a wife who is already married so she can be, be fully intimate. And, and, the, and the, the explanation of that, the normative explanation is that's the difference between the diaspora existence and the land of Israel existence where when we're here, when we're home, there's a full, full, full Monty, should we say. There's a possibility for full intimacy. Can I call the show the full Monty of holiness? Is that... Is that, is that Disrespectful? Is that <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> I would add, though, that even in a married relationship, there is an important place yes. for still holding that boundary. Yes, absolutely. And, and by, by the way, I would, I would, I would also say, by the way, that in almost all human relations, yeah, some, in general, I always, t- I try to teach this to my kids, like, 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 always pull back a little bit, right. make people you, come to you a little you bit. Don't you don't have know? to share everything, right? Don't, don't, yeah, exactly. And and also, and also, draw people in through mystery, through a little bit of yeah. of, of, of a little bit, a tad of of being. You know, one step uh, on not totally attainable. Mm-hmm. Something in the human psyche, when something is totally attainable, it becomes less desirable. Less desirable. For sure. 
All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Rabbi Mike Foyer is our guest here on the Land of Israel Network, uh, a, a fabulous uh, network. Maybe I would say the, the number one uh, uh, network of uh, Torah and Land of Israel podcast from the Land of Israel. Maybe that's very specific, and that's why we're number one. <laughs> we're number one <laughs> and number two I was <laughs> and number three. <laughs> Uh, but we do have a great a great network that I'm really, really, really proud of. Check out our other shows. And please write me an email, yeshai at thelandofisrael.com or ravmike at thelandofisrael.com. Check out Rav Mike's other show, fabulous show here on the Land of Israel Network, which is called The Jewish Story. I'm a listener to that myself uh, and enjoy it very much, although I'm a little bit behind, but I am listening. Sorry, uh, history will wait. What? <laughs> And uh, check out, uh, his, my website is com, and you don't even have to know how to spell that. Just let Google do the work for you. Be <laughs> lazy. Um, and also the jewishstory.co, 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 uh, and facebook.com uh, forward slash Rav Mike, facebook.com forward slash Yishai Fleischer. And of course, as I said last week, please do us a small favor, rate, rate us highly. Uh, it makes a tremendous difference. Uh, donations are welcome and appreciated. And of course, by the way, I haven't mentioned this, uh, dedications. Uh, send me a dedication to somebody you love. would love to dedicate the show and the and Torah learning to, um, to, to your whatever, loved one, et cetera. Uh, we'll be happy to, uh, to give honor to that. And I want to thank everybody around the world for being part of this incredible uh, time and this incredible effort. And, and I, I, I was, as, as I was speaking to this group today, I said to them, oh my gosh, I forgot how to intro what I was going to intro this with. And they're like, what is it? I'm like, we're living in a great time. We're living in a great time. Say that three times when you get up in the morning. We're living in a great time. We're living in a great time. Like this is, this is an amazing time of revelation, of a gift. We're very, very lucky to be living in this time. And, uh, and uh, we have to know that. We have to know that and to live it on that level. And yeah, it would say live up to that greatness. Right, live up to that great, but 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 also but like besimcha, like with yeah. joy. Do it with joy. This is a great time, such a gift, and not to get bogged down by by, by all the the dross and the, and the garbage and all the stuff that the that the news and and others want to put down on us. Rabbi Mike Foyer, I want to thank you so much for being with me. Always a pleasure, Chef. God bless you, and God bless all of you. Mi Yerushalayim, and stay tuned. Uh, for that awesome second half of the show with Malka Fleischer. I hope we'll be able to catch her today, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So God bless you. Stay tuned. Stay connected. Be part of the story. Lots of love from Yerushalayim, and shalom. Have you ever had Shavuot in Yerushalayim? Or has it been many years since you've had Shavuot in Yerushalayim? Forget everything. If you can, if you have the means, book a ticket. Come to Jerusalem for Shavuot. It's so worth it. It's so powerful. And we're calling it the Shavuot of a lifetime. You won't regret it. If you if this is the one, come out, come out for an awesome Shavuot together. Check out the website, thelandofisrael.travel. Shalom, everybody, and welcome back to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Indeed, I've managed to catch Malka Fleischer uh, for this segment. Malka, shalom and welcome. Thank you, Yishai. And happy summer to you. As we're speaking right now, the kids are on the balcony uh, chucking water at one another. Yes. It, and it is a, a kind of, a, it's like a furnace out there. It is it's hot, hot, hot. It's very extremely warm today. It's really hot. It's not like it was over that weekend when a thousand fires were ignited all across the country. 
It was 1,023 fires. Did you know that? Between, I think, wow. May 23rd and the 25th, I think those are the yeah. dates. And, and if people don't know, uh, a famous community, uh, the famous Shlomo Karbach community called Mevomo Dein, and a good friend of mine's Jake's, one of his real, you know, he's very emotionally connected to that place, spent oh, a lot yeah? of time there, uh, basically burnt down. And, yeah. uh, and I heard this morning uh, a lady that I know, her name is Brachi Sprung, and uh, she's a child of, of that Moshav, and she's just talking about really the destruction. And right now, that whole community, which is upwards of 300 people, uh, are in, um, they're, they're in a, uh, like a school, um, what's it called? Like, like a, Pinilla, like a yeah, that? like a, a sleepaway school. Like a, what's it called? Yeah. Um, not sleepaway school. What do you call I guess boarding school is the right. Uh, yeah, but not right like Harry Potter style, where you like go away and either a learn magic or b are gone for a really long time. It's right. like uh, you know, you come back like a couple nights a week. It's like a, a formula for success, apparently here in Israel. Dorms. That's the dorm. Word. Dorms. Dorms. What are we? Oh my gosh. Um, dorms. By the way, just in parentheses, I never read the Harry Potter books. I know a lot of people have, but I have not. I saw the first Harry Potter movie, and then I saw about the first one and a half minutes of the second Harry Potter movie, and it was too scary. And then I was I was done. I think I'm not so into fantasy. I'm not so. I'm not so into, into scary. Right. Okay. I don't like scary things. Anyway, but everybody says it's a great book. But uh, whatever. Uh, I, I guess I, I'm right now trying to read through the uh, the Book of Kings one and two again. But in any case, uh, so the uh, this Moshev Modin burnt down. Uh, in these fires, there is some suggestion that it might have been involved with arson. Uh, arson may have been uh, the cause of it because they found multiple starting points, uh, but that's kind of been hushed up. I don't know what the what the well, truth is. Well, one thing that's not hushed up is that it's like it's it's public knowledge that se- an unnumbered amount we don't know exactly, but an unnumbered amount of the fires were set intentionally. Mm-hmm. Meaning to say, it's not like this one fire might be an arson, but that would be so crazy. And really, it was just extremely hot outside, and all these wildfires just cropped up out of nowhere. Right. True, it was Lagba Omer. It was after Lagba Omer, which means there is a strong likelihood that some that a lot of the fires were started by uh, negligent fire lighting, because Lagba Omer is um, a holiday with a lot of bonfires associated with it. So definitely, that could be the case. But everyone knows. And everyone agrees, and it's been in the news, that some of those fires were started by, you call them arsonists. I will call them terrorists, okay? Right. People Ter- who, fire, yeah. who want to start fires and destroy things here in right. the land of Israel. Right. And, and, and uh, those arson terrorists uh, do so when the conditions are specifically good. And you'd say if it's a super heat wave with wind, boom, suddenly fires appear because that's a kind of very easy way to... To set things ablaze, so there's there's a there's a definite likelihood that 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 happened. Then, Malka, did you hear that that Germany decided that BDS is actually anti-Semitic and they're they're on the way to making it illegal? Yes, I heard about that, and I heard that there was a small protest uh, outside, like the German representative office in Ramallah, of a bunch of Arabs who basically said that they will boycott Germany. Um, and that it's only just the beginning of how they're going to act out against Germany as a result of what they perceive to be an anti-Arab or you could say anti-Palestinian decision to decide that because in their minds, boycotting, divesting and sanctioning 
uh, Israel is a way to achieve their goals. Um, on the face of it, it's the to achieve a Palestinian state, to get their equal rights, etc. So they they're very angry that Germany says that their tactics are are in fact anti-Semitism. Right, and 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 the statements that came out of Germany were like, we are familiar with this kind of stuff. Right, this looks very familiar. Is right. basically what they said. They, they actually said that. Um, they're like, these are like the Nuremberg laws. These are like laws that are anti-Jewish. And we're familiar with it. We're right. we're not we're not going to be part of it. I was well, I was Israel's, uh, Israel's I, have to tell you, I was I was moved by that. I was I was like I I thought that, like when Germany I don't like sorry so much, but when Germany says things like yeah we're not going to stand with that because that's like anti-Israel and and that's anti-Jewish and that's we've had that experience we're not going that way. That to me is very honorable. Right. Well, it turns out that that uh, the minister of strategic affairs, Israel's minister of strategic affairs, Gilad Erdan, created a a report earlier this year i think it was called terrorists in suits right and it's a picture of a guy one half of him is like a smiley guy in a suit and the other half of him is like this most stereotypical looking kafir wrapped uh jihadi terrorist jihadi terrorist right and uh the the report was basically about how a lot of bds organizations are staffed by or connected to or have member like significant members who are literally terrorists right not just terror supporters, but people who actually themselves have committed acts of terror. I, I think one of the most important things to know today, one of the most important things to know today out there in the street and in public diplomacy is the usage of liberalism in the, uh, to, in the function of, in, in, the, in the employ of jihad terrorism. And, 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 People like if people can well, they really they really uh, grabbed onto the coattails of the like whole intersectionality right discussion. But but but, uh, but I want to say this. So I want people to be able to say this out loud. Like I want people to be able to like really crystallize this thought and identify the enemy. The enemy today uses liberal language to further the jihad. It will 100% use your values against you, basically. Right, right. In it, other it, words. Right. It, 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 it's aware of that, and it uses it in international organizations. It'll use it in UNESCO. It'll use it, it'll use it all over the place. It'll use all that language, social justice, uh, uh, human rights, all this kind of stuff. And it's in the employ. That was the word I was looking for. for. It's, it's in the employ of the jihad. And so all kinds of international organizations are exactly what, what Minister Erdogan was talking about, which is the legitimate face of the jihad. They're like suits and ties. Everything, it's BDS. It's just about rights. It's just about human rights. It's about fighting colonialism, apartheid, uh, 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 occupation, all these words. But in, in reality, what they really want to do is wipe off this tiny little Jewish state and take it over. They want to weaken it, destroy it, and wipe it off the map. That's what it's really about. And I, I, I wish like everybody that's listening to the show would just be like, I, I want people to be able to say this. Like, the jihad uses employs liberal language as a front as a cover as a veil as a thin uh, veneer in order to further their goals which is to destroy israel and once you get that you'll be like oh 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 and you won't be like kind of fighting the hand which is like bds or something like you'll be like this is jihad and you'll identify it very very evidently and and and, and clearly and easily and I want you to be able to say that to other people. Just be like, no, no, they use liberal language. They're not really liberal at all. And then you'll be able to say to your liberal friends, like, hey, like, you're liberal, 
this thing that 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 you're mouthing is not liberal at all, at all. And I I think to to me it's one of the most like it's it's the kind of tactic of our time. Right. In the age of information, there is it's also an age of disinformation, not misinformation, disinformation. Right. That's the big that's the big war. That's the big battlefront today, which is just the simple truth. It's very hard to to get your finger on the pulse of what is true and what is not true today. And everything's about the sides and people have different sides and things that you don't actually know and what the insider knows and what the outsider knows and all these things. Uh, And what, you know, somebody caught on their camera or what they didn't catch on their camera or who caught it or why or when. Or or did they slow it down or edit it? A million, million things. So it's uh, I think that this is not just something that Israel deals with, but I think this is something that. All a lot of value-based discussion right. um, centers around today, which is what is true, capital T. Maka, you and I share a kind of interest in a faraway country, you and I. We have an interest in an island nation called Japan. And you and I have talked to a few times that we've wanted to go to Japan. I would really like to go to Japan. And guess what, folks? Nothing's moved on that topic at all. We have for absolute, us, for but us. it has for a lot of other people. Right. We we have yet to be invited to Japan. This morning, a group that I spoke with, a Japanese lady came up to me and she says, she said, "When I grow up, I want to be like you." That's what she said to me, and I was like, "Oh, wow, cool. that's amazing." And and I and people don't know that I I I think maybe what does she mean like beardy? I don't think that she wanted to be the bearded lady. I don't think that's what she meant. Uh, but good guess. I think it was more like she wanted to be uh, an amazing narrative warrior <laughs> who can just slash, you know, the enemies like a, like a, like some kind of medieval knight fighting dragon. Wow, yeah, that is just like you. <laughs> that is the that is the that <laughs> you, is in the, a nutshell. How did I get into that, this nutshell? Yeah, that is my power animal. Okay, that's the way I think to myself. Okay. Think of myself as a knight out there, okay? I don't think a knight is an animal. I don't think that can be your power animal. I don't think it has to be. I an think animal. you have to choose an actual animal. No, no. My power animal is the noble moose. That's right, Malka. So let's not talk about this. This is, <laughs> this is not. This is not your. Uh, this is not your shrinks, um, couch. But Japan is now. Uh, I first thing. Speaking of Japan, President Trump was in Japan. And I saw him out on the sumo circle. He looked uh, happy. He looked happy. And I wanted him. And I saw him standing and he was presenting a sumo wrestler with some kind of uh, award. I wanted to see him go at the sumo wrestler. That's what I wanted. I bet I you wanted. he tried it in his hotel room for a five minutes. You think so? Yeah. I, w- I wanted to see him just, just get just get he in there. He looked very pleased to be there. And that yeah. sumo wrestler looked pretty happy too. Everyone seemed happy basically. I, I mean, sumo wrestling is... That's like Japan. There you go. You, you want to you go out to Japan just to just... I would go to see a sumo wrestling show. Sure, fight. I would Lama like Lo. would. It's not violent like now, boxing. Now the reason like you don't really get hurt, right? R- uh, yeah. The reason we're talking about this is because uh, there's now now uh, 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 Israel Japan connectivity that's that's yes, forming. Yes, that was well said. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically, t- like today, if you want to go to Judeo Japanese, yes, that's okay. nice. If you want to go to Japan today, it takes like twenty to twenty-four hours to get there. Yeah, there's no direct flight. You got to do a you got to do a stopover. But it was just announced today. Yeah, that El Al, our wonderful airline here in Israel, has opened a direct air link with Japan. The first air link with What's Japan. What's an air link? It means like there's no direct air road. 
between these two countries. Not, are you saying there's going to be a direct flight or not? There's a direct flight. But I'm saying it's not just that there's a direct flight between Tel Aviv and Tokyo, which is really, really amazing. It's that between Israel and Japan is a direct flight. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no, that's like that's significant. Meaning to say you were just oh, telling me that this is a new link up you're This saying. is a new link up I between see. two countries cool. that weren't that weren't linked in the air before. I don't know what's going on, but El Al, I I actually have some friends at El Al. I'd like to call them. And I want to say something. This morning I heard an ad on the radio which was like uh, are you uh, into uh, supporting Israel blah 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 and they're like so the other guys like yeah. They're like uh, so why don't you buy Israeli products? And I've talked about this on oh, the show. Snap. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, I am proud to buy Israeli products. Now, I, I, I love El Al. I have always loved El Al. I like El Al. It's more, yeah, it's more expensive. Yeah, the movies are horrific. No, the movies are much better these days. The oh, movies, really? Things, things are changing in El Al. I haven't been on a flight in a, and, in a and while. And the big cha- and uh, this is not a paid advertisement, but but <laughs> but I. But I, it I, could be. Call us, El Al. Yishai at yishaiflash.com, yishai at the land of Israel.com. Anyway. Free tickets. The thing, yeah, the free tickets. I will, I, will, I will become an ambassador for LL. First I class. I don't need first class. Business is fine. With now, champagne for me. Okay, okay. Manka, what I want to say is that LL is actually opening up flights to Orlando, to Vegas. Yes, those are two reason. places that people directly need to get to from <laughs> Tel Aviv. <laughs> Go to Vegas, baby! And it's like we got to get to Disney World now. now uh, Orlando is not just Disney World, sweetie. Yeah, it's that whole area over there. This uh, people, but there's a direct flight to Miami, is there not? There was always a direct flight to Miami. That's an old flight. So but now how far uh, is Miami from Orlando? There's a direct flight to Orlando, Monka. That's not a bad thing. That no. can't be bad. And there's a direct flight, which is which is a big deal to San Francisco. That is a big deal. Yeah, and I wore flowers in my hair. Uh, Did you meet some gentle people there? Yeah. I bet if you live in San Francisco, you just like. You hate people who yeah. say what we just said. Do you know right what now. you're not allowed to say in San Francisco? San Fran. They're like, oh, ah. is that right? Why like, you have to say the whole thing? Or you can say you can, can actually, you say Frisco. You can say Frisco. Why is that cooler? Why? Uh, I don't San know. Fran is. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. And I grew it, up in Texas, and there is a Frisco, Texas. So yes, you're lacking some accuracy there, yes. for San Francisco. Whatever. Let's not worry about that. That's the, those are excellent, excellent places. God bless them. Yes. We actually send you blessings. We send all your blessings uh, all over the world right now, and. And and I, I want to tell you why why this issue is important to me. I've talked about this. People have heard me make speeches about it, but I want to make one more like important point today. Okay, my important point is, and I'll make it short. I've said it on on previous speeches. I say it again, which is the good side of globalism. And I don't mean anti-nationalism. I don't mean the getting rid of borders. I'm not talking about that aspect of globalism. I'm talking about global connectivity. Epcot Center. I'm talking about Where you glo- go visit the other countries right. and have relationships with them. Right. I'm talking about global connectivity is a boon for Israel. It's a tremendous, tremendous advantage for Israel. Our nature is to be globally connected, interested in other countries, and in a weird spiritual way, we're actually representatives micro-representatives of all the nations in the world. And to be able to touch the world and, and have a, a channel, a conduit, to touch those places and to affect them positively and to also bring their positive connectivity to Israel is our natural modus, okay? And it, it, the more Israel is, is a hub, that, that's what it is. Israel is, is, a, is a spiritual hub, spiritual intellectual hub, and... Uh, uh, th- when I see El Al actually having more of these spokes or whatever they're called around the world, for example, to the far islands of Tokyo, of, of, of Japan, 
I know that Israel's getting stronger. And it's, it's just going to be 12 hours now. That's amazing. That ain't no thing even. That is, that's amazing. In terms of air travel. Maka, we got to fly I want to, to go. Please invite us. We got to fly to Japan. Abe. Well, I don't know what you just said. That's is, the, that's oh, the oh, prime that's minister. The prime minister right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not going to make any stupid jokes because I know, I know I'm going to get in trouble. I know a lot of you are like, you should make a stupid joke and we'll laugh, but you know that I'm going to get sued don't. by somebody for, for being insensitive. I don't even know what we're talking about and let's keep it that exactly. way. Exactly. Okay. All right. I'm not going to make uh, some, some. Don't. Yep. That. <laughs> no, Ella's I, never going to call. <laughs> call me. I'm waiting. <laughs> um, I actually, you know, you know what? Uh, uh, there was there was a time where I thought I could I could work for Elal because I thought to myself again this was a way to bring the message of Israel to the world and it is a fi- it really is a fine airline. Speaking of airlines, I did a lot of flying in the last few months, and now I'm kind of grounded for a while. Food's and when I say true. grounded, I actually don't mean that in a negative sense, like you're grounded. More like I'm on the ground here in the land of Israel. And I love it. I love it. It's so good to get into into uh, a regular ru- r- yeah routine and and getting up at the same time in the morning and all that kind of stuff. And food, food, food. Yeah, food, food, food. Okay, food, food, food. Don't said, spit all over you know. my mics. Okay, um, fine. Uh, the point is, 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 is it's great to be here in the land of Israel. There's really nothing better. And I've said this also on the show many times. I say this again. There's also nothing better than vacationing in the land of Israel. There's just nothing, nothing better than that. There's like a feeling. Of total, you know what it is about vacation. If you're like me and like most people, you love vacation, and so you're like, "This beach is great, right? This is so great." And when you can really love it totally, and just have feel total like, like this is totally right and okay to love, uh, it, it's a great feeling. And I'm I'm just really excited for 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 a great summer. It's it's hot. When I was a kid, I used to love the heat. Today, a little bit different. I, I can I can deal with a nice overcast day, a nice cloudy day. I'm happy with that. But but it's it's great to be here, and I'm very excited. And here's the the last part of the show, which is the elections now, or the potentially impending elections. Here's the weird thing. Yep. Malka, it is here in the land of Israel Wednesday, mm-hmm. and you and I could talk about this crisis. You see, we had this whole elections thing. And then and then and then the elections and and then and then and all the polls and all the and finally we we got the good results but it turns out that there's been a little bit of a slowdown in in a snag in being able to compose a government. Yes. And that snag has a name. His name is a Victor Lieberman. And a Victor Lieberman has has made what I gather start to gather now is a pretty popular claim against the ultra-Orthodox, and the way that they serve in the army, and he has... Or don't serve, or in, don't the don't army. serve in the army. And he has stalled the formation of a coalition government. And so we can talk about this, but the thing is, when you hear this show, it will have been decided either that this whole thing was all about posturing to get a better position uh, and, and more and more concessions from the prime minister, or that indeed we're going to new elections... Dun, dun, dun. Oh, man. I'm like kind of horribly dreading it and kind of really excited about it. Right. It's Because it's new elections is a little bit fun. Although I don't want to see the polls. And I that's the one thing that irritated me the very most about the last election is that there were all these polls and it was a big scandal at the end after everyone was voted for or not right. voted for was that all the polls, not all the polls, but the polls were like critically wrong in some very important places and so i decided 
that I think that the Israeli pollsters should all sit in jail for one night. One night in jail. One night in jail. Because the truth is that they held this country prisoner and confused everyone for a really long time. And then it ended up being totally false. And I feel like it's a lot of manipulation and a lot of attempted manipulation of the public. And uh, Maybe I think they, that they should like f- have the fear of God in them a little bit before we go to another election. Yeah, or a public flogging, or if not a that, pantsing. What's that? Were you were you pull down someone's pants? No, Maka. What is going on with well, you today? Well, it's less violent than your flogging. Uh, or a public like spitballing it, or a vodot What's that in English? Wait, we just make each of them say how many parties there. There were like 40 that ran, but... Uh, they have to say 40 books of Tealim. Ah, now we're talking They have business. to say 40 books. However many parties there are, each one, they have to Malka, each sit down. And they have to sit down for like... Maybe that's better than the pants. I just want you to know, Can Malka, you erase that one? This is a family show. Okay, Malka? <laughs> okay, this is a family show. All right? Sorry. Okay, so... so Elal's so, not going to call. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Talk like that. Okay. But 40 books of Tehillim, that sounds fine. Or 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 any, the bottom line is pollsters. That's beware. like community service, basically. Right, community service. That's it what takes I'm like it takes a person who's really, really, really good, like three hours to read the Safer Tealing. Right. Or so that's like 120 hours of community service. Okay. I like that idea. Or maybe just a, we should not trust the pollsters anymore. It's hard though. It's hard because it's like such a big part of the news, and you you really really want to know, right? And and like you can't keep your eyes away from it. You really yeah. want to see how are things going in the polls. But I'm very interested because um, I just wonder. There's all kinds of maneuvering. It looks like Ayala Chaked and Naftali Bennett met up in Tel Aviv today to like have a little sit down and talk about stuff. But it also seems like Ayala Chaked had the same kind of sit down with the Likud party. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that Likud is going to absorb her. There's rumors that she had uh, the same sit down with a Vigdor troublemaker Lieberman, who I would never vote for. You may I'm so, not. You I'm may so not. fed up with him. You may not, but I'm telling you that this thing is not unpopular. It's not unpopular, but I think the I, fact that I, he I, is I've, is I've basically single handedly, single handedly like making all of Israel go back to elections over something that. Let's be honest, like Israelis would like to see the conclusion of this thing and would like for it for there to be like a final consensus on this Haredim in the army. Yes, no. But in actuality, most Israelis are not losing sleep at night over this thing. This is I, I, I posit to you, Malka, this is actually not about ultra orthodox in the army at all. This is actually about Netanyahu. This is about embarrassing Netanyahu, about showing muscle against Netanyahu. Yeah, about, but for uh, what? One second, one second. But for what? To be prime minister. To, what, to, that to, Avigdor Lieberman's going to be the prime minister yes, of Israel? that's what he's gunning for. He is not, this has nothing to do with the But he said himself a, that he's not going to join a blue and white coalition, that he would only join a, a Netanyahu coalition. I mean, he's playing the game right now. I don't think he's playing that game. I'm telling you, he wants to have, to be impressive right now, and he has now I don't think he's being impressive. I think he's being really annoying. To you, but to many. The, yeah, I'm the, the right wing that elected the majority government. But, but. But but he is now coming out strong against Netanyahu in the sense, and he has. I think he's him. coming out as as like a boged. Okay. I think he's coming out as a as a little bit of a traitor. And I am telling you that I've spoken now to a lot of regular folks out there. I spoke to my Russian mechanic. I spoke to a lot of other people, and I see. You mean that the people who put him in in there in the first place? I can't understand why anyone voted for him at all in the first place. I, I'm telling you that you are underestimating this 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 these steps. I think you are overestimating it. Very good. All right. Well, we shall see, friends. Right? You will already be knowing uh, what the next step here is in Israel, and and in all that, if you recall back the other half that we had with Rabbi Mike. 
which is that the camps of Israel are moving forward, but the heart of it is the God's presence, the Mishkan, the, the, ta- the tabernacle. And we said in the last part of the show, Malka, that that really is a symbol to us that we have a beautiful state, we have a beautiful machinery, but in the end, what it's really about is having God's presence inside. So let us pray that all the politics and all these machinations will really move forward. God's chair, God's yes. kingdom, God's honor, God's It's interesting God's how Hashem has his way. Like, whatever's going to happen with this government, the there were all these expectations and including people like people who thought they were about to be a Knesset member, people who, you know, got initiated and got sworn in. And like, there was a, there was a government that was established and like this Hashem is just like, I can just totally completely switch this up on you guys. And you're going to see that it's going to be different people. It could be that Naftali Bennett will be in the government. It could be Ayala Chaked will be in the government. It could be that, that uh, Benny Gantz will be the prime minister of Israel. It could be, I seriously doubt it that Avigdor Lieberman is going to be the prime minister. But the point is that the whole thing's going to get shaken up right now. And people who ran before are not going to run again. And people who didn't run will run. And people who didn't make it will make it. And people who did make it won't make it. And the whole thing is going to be totally nuts. Sometimes I wonder if our system is really the best system possible. It's really I don't. I don't. I never wonder about that because <laughs> I'm 100% confident that it is not the best right. system. All right, folks, we'd love to hear from but you. But I love Israel anyway. Of course. We love our country. That doesn't mean that every, single, that every single piece of sewage piping is perfect. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that we love our country. We love our, 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 our this time. We love this time that we're this great time that we're living in. Uh, we, we love living in the land of Israel. We love the people of Israel. And we love our challenges. But like that doesn't mean that we have to say every single thing is perfect. It's not perfect just because you love somebody. For example, me. I know that you love me very much, but I... Well, I think I'm before just not, we established that you're yeah. some kind of a ninja, ninja no. knight with a sword that no, that lady that was wants my to grow own, up to be like. That was my own power animal. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. You are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. Awesome to be with you. Lots of love, and I mean it, uh, from here from Judea, uh, all over the globe, sending you connectivity, sending you love, uh, sending you um, handshake, embrace, or a Japanese bow. Sayonara. Sayonara. Uh, and uh, and really lots of strength. Really, that's that's really maybe it's what it's really all about. Strength from Israel, and and plugging into the story of Israel and the God of Israel. Write us an email, yishaithelandofisrael.com. Thank you to the Land of Israel Network. Thank you to the good people of Hebron, the Jewish community of which uh, houses or no Hebron houses, but the Jewish community protects. And are they uh, speaking of knights? They are the Knights of the Machpelah. Okay, that's right. The they knights, are the Knights of the Machpelah. There should Machpelah. be a ring and an emblem. Yeah. And a handshake. Yeah, and, and also and also merchandising. Um, and also some kind of billiards hall. Okay, so the Knights of the Machpelah, that's the Jewish people, the, the Jewish community of Hebron. Come and visit us. Uh, we have weekly English tours, uh, uh, starting from Jerusalem, going to the tomb of Rachel and then to Hebron. That is found at hebronfund.org. And also right now I'm sporting... This beautiful tchelet, uh the four-cornered garment, uh, which is interlaced with this... Uh, with the Knights of Solomon's Temple. That's right. That's right. The tchelet. The tchelet. It's, it's, our, it's, our, it's, our, it's our badge of honor. It's our war colors. It's our love colors. It's, it's everything all together. It's our cute fringe. A what? Cute fringe? Yeah. That's right. Okay. And, and if, you, if, you, if you go there, you may get some fringe benefits as well. Nah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, uh, folks, you are listening uh, here to us here at the Land of Israel Network and also visit our website, yishaifleischer.com. Oh, Tchelet is T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T.com, Tchelet.com. Malka Fleischer, uh, one thing that we didn't get to a chance. Oh, Malka. What? 
Fui, Malka. We, we were supposed to talk about Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day. That was what we were supposed to talk about on today's show. Remember? It's on Sunday, Yom Yerushalayim. I, I didn't do it with Rabbi Mike to talk with you about it. Anyway, Yom Yerushalayim is coming up, Jerusalem Day. Uh, uh, the, the, the incredible six-day war uh, uh, reunited, uh, Jerusalem reunited, the, 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 the ancestral homeland, the heartland reunited. And we're going to be celebrating that big. We'll be with Rabbi Shlomo Katz on Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to be on uh, Sunday morning uh, overlooking the Temple Mount uh, from uh, from Armona Natsiv. From it's the, going to be so beautiful. And Shlomo Katz is going to be singing. I'm very excited about that. So join us for Yom Yerushalayim. Celebrate Yom Yerushalayim this year. This year's that's your challenge is to celebrate Yom Yerushalayim seriously wherever you are uh, around the world. I want to hear you say. I want a hashtag. Yom, I'm celebrating Yom Yerushalayim this year. Wow, that's year. a very big hashtag. I'm celebrating Yom Yerushalayim this year. That's the hashtag. I'm celebrating Yom Yerushalayim, and I'm going to celebrate the return of Bethel, Beit El, the, the return of Beit Lechem, the return of Shechem, the tomb of Joseph, the return of the to- tombs of the fathers and mothers in Hebron, and of course, the Temple Mount, the Mount of Olives, City of David, Kotel Tunnels, all that stuff, which is in quote-unquote East Jerusalem. We're going to be celebrating that amazing, amazing war. All right, folks, God bless you a wherever you are. A victory for the freedom of Jerusalem is a victory for the freedom of all mankind. There you go. Amen. God bless you, folks. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected. And we'll be uh, with you next week again. Lots of love and shalom. Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, host of Rejuvenation. Join us on the Land of Israel Network for the Shavuot of a Lifetime, where I will be giving a special class that weekend and guiding Herodian on Monday as the bus goes out to the farm. So join us for the Shavuot of a Lifetime in just a few weeks, Thursday through Monday, June 6th through 10th, 2019, at the Jerusalem Mount Zion Hotel. Looking forward to seeing you.